The sun rises over the San Joaquin Valley, California. Today is April 29, 2020. Clinica Sierra Vista CEO Brian Harris resigned from his position on April 24th. We appreciate Brian's leadership and enthusiasm. He brought positive changes to this institution, and we wish him a successful future. How many times have you checked up to date today? UpToDate is probably one of the most used point-of-care reference tools in the world. We'd like to recognize the work of Dr. Burton, Bud Rose, the founder of UpToDate, who passed away, sadly, on April 24th. Thanks, Bud, for your contribution to the spreading of evidence-based medical knowledge. This week, the media have been flooded by comments about disinfectants. A disinfectant is a chemical that destroys vegetative forms of harmful microorganisms, such as bacteria and fungi, especially on inanimate objects. President Trump discussed with experts the possibility of developing a disinfectant that can be injected to kill SARS-CoV-2 inside the body. An official recommendation to inject disinfectants was not issued, but misinterpretations and countless remarks, comments, and jokes were made. Please make sure to tell your patients that common household disinfectants are for external use only. Welcome to Rio Bravo QE, the podcast of the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program, recorded weekly from Bakersfield, California, the land where growing is happening everywhere. The Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program trains residents and students to prevent illnesses and bring health and hope to our community. Our mission is to seek, teach, and serve. Sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista, we are providing compassionate and affordable care to patients throughout Kern and Fresno counties since 1971. Everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. Albert Einstein Dear residents, what are you good at? What are your talents? I invite you to explore those things you know how to do and continue to perfect them. Because after all, we are all geniuses, as Albert Einstein said. And today we have with us a genius, Dr. John Ihejrika. John is one of, the, uh, one of our second year residents in the program and he has a very particular laugh. <laughs> Look, Lorenzo, I don't think I'm a genius, though, but thank you for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not Santa Claus, that's John. <laughs> okay, John, tell us who you are. That's question number one. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Uh, my name is Dr. John E. Hay Jurica. I'm one of the second year residents at the Rio Bravo Family Medicine residency program here in Bakersfield, California. I'm originally from Nigeria. My last name was quite a battle 
for most of my colleagues and co-workers to pronounce at the beginning of my training. But most of them have now figured out the almost perfect way to pronounce it. But some still call me Dr. Ihe, or some call me Dr. I, which is still okay. So it's actually pronounced Ihe Jirika, which in my local language means what I have that makes me greater than you. I grew up in a humble family back in Nigeria, and I attended and graduated from the College of Medicine, University of Nigeria, after which I practiced for a few years in general practice, especially in very low-resource, limited communities before I immigrated to the United States. It was always my dream to further my medical career in the United States, so with lots of studying, effort, persistence, hopes, and prayers, I find myself here today in the midst of such a wonderful group of residents and faculty, and lucky to be in one of the most adored and best family medicine residency programs in the whole country. Some of my hobbies are cooking, especially Nigerian dishes, playing soccer, traveling, meeting people of different cultures, and watching movies. Thank you. Uh, one thing that you didn't mention, Dr. Hedrika, he is a good swimmer. Oh, I think he's, she's, he, Dr. Reza is being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Dr. Hedrika was being taught how to swim by uh, our colleague, Claudia. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Claudia was so helpful that day. She taught me how to swim because I didn't grow up swimming and um, I'm trying to learn how to swim. So thank you, Claudia. Oh, yeah. So, and no worry about your last name. People do that to me all the time. I'm Dr. A, so you're Dr. I. Welcome to the club. Thank you. It's the alphabet program. <laughs> so, what do you learn this week, Dr. Hedjerika? Oh, thank you very much for that question. Um, what I learned this week was about the management of acute urinary retention. So, acute urinary retention is defined as the inability to voluntarily pass urine. So I had a 68-year-old male patient who came into the clinic after walking for complaints of lower abdominal pain and constipation since the previous night. Upon further questioning, I realized that he had not urinated in over 12 hours, and physical examination revealed lower abdominal superpubic tenderness and distension. We were able to get about one liter of urine after straight catheterization in the clinic with complete resolution of his symptoms. Acute urinary retention is usually common in older men and etiologies may include one, outflow obstruction, which is usually the most common, for example, benign prostatic hyperplasia, two, neurologic impairment, for example, damage of sensory or motor nerve supply to the detrusor muscle, like in spinal cord injuries, demyelination syndromes, and neuropathy. Three, you can find it in inefficient detrusor muscles. Four, some medications can cause this. For example, anticholinergics, sympathomimetics, and some muscle relaxants. Five, infections like acute prostatitis, and six, trauma to the bladder. 
It's good that you mentioned medications because there is a medication that we use commonly in our clinic for our patients with insomnia, even in patients who are elderly, and we might cause acute urinary retention. The medication is Benadryl. So um, what is your next step in, in the evaluation of this patient, uh, Dr. Hedrika, a patient who, has some, who hasn't been urinating for 12 hours? Thank you very much. So what I usually do, uh, and the initial evaluation would involve getting uh, a thorough history and a physical examination, which usually reveals a patient in discomfort with suprapubic tenderness and distension. So you could, physical examination, you could palpate the, the lower abdominal or suprapubic area, you could percuss, or you could use an ultrasound just to determine how much volume is in the bladder. So we usually pass a 15, sorry, a 14 to 18 French urethral catheter, depending on the degree of resistance. If you have more degree, you go for a smaller size. And that is done to decompress the bladder. And then you note the amount of urine and the color collected. Now, if urinary output is less than 150 mils or 150 cc's, acute urinary retention is less likely. And then you try to investigate other possible causes of lower abdominal pain. Urine samples should be sent for analysis and culture. Other labs that can be done include basal metabolic panel. And this is done to assess any possible damage to the kidneys from chronic retention. We usually do not get a PSA because PSA is usually elevated during times of acute episodes of acute urinary retention. So if, urinary, if, if the output you get exceeds 400 mils, the catheter is usually left in place for about three to five days after which avoiding trial is done. If a post-volume, or sorry, a post-void residual urine volume is greater than 300 mils, or if the patient still has lower urinary tract symptoms after the voiding trial, the catheter is usually kept in place until evaluation by urology. Okay, and what kind of treatment can you prescribe to a patient like this? So after we do all this decompression and catheterization with the patient, you would like to prescribe some medications which include an alpha-1 arteriogenic blocker, for example, tamsulosine, and a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor, for example, finasteride. And also, you want to place a referral to urology at the time of initial catheterization. Urethral catheterization may be contraindicated in some patients, and these include patients who have had recent urologic surgery, trauma to, or that have structurally abnormal urethral openings, which we call the meathus, or that have failed urethral catheterization, even with the smallest 10 French or 12 French catheters. These patients should be referred urgently to urology for a possible suprapubic catheterization. I would recommend my residents to avoid placing a catheter in a patient who has trauma and who has like gross blood coming out of the meatus. Correct. So uh, I will leave that to the trauma, the trauma people or to the urologist. Correct. But... Um, 
So tell me about complications that can happen after you drain the urine. So you, let's say that you place the, the catheter mm -hmm. and now you drain the urine. What complications can you have? Okay. Um, thank you. As with any other procedure, we have complications, which you can get from uh, decompressing the bladder. And these include uh, hematuria. And uh, this is usually resolved spontaneously or with bladder irrigation. You could also have a transient hypotension, and as what entails transient after a few minutes, uh, blood pressure normalizes. And then you could also have post-obstructive diuresis, uh, which is usually uh, seen in chronic urinary retention. So tell us more about that post-obstructive diuresis. What is that? Okay. So post-obstructive diuresis is defined as urine output of 200 mils per hour for two consecutive hours or greater than three liters in 24 hours. It is usually a polyuric response initiated by the kidney after the relief of a urethral obstruction to eliminate accumulated solutes and volume. And this can be managed by encouraging the patient to increase fluid intake. But in patients who are not or who are unable to do so or who have very severe post-obstructive diuresis, we measure the urine output and replace one half the urine volume with half of normal saline. For example, one liter of urine should be replaced with 500 mils of normal saline. Very good. So, um, do you want to give us a summary, uh, Dr. Hedrika, about what you just said? Thank you very much. So, I have a cute flow chart uh, well, diagram I usually remember. So, initially, you want to start by confirming the palpate, by palpating the bladder, uh, doing a thorough physical examination, and then you note the distended bladder, and also you can use an ultrasound. And then you want to access urethral. Uh, access and see if you can place the catheter or not. So if it's not possible, you go the other route. So if it's not possible, for any reason as we explained, you place an urgent urethral catheterization uh, consultation uh, for possible suprapubic catheterization. Now if it's possible, you go the next the other route. So if it's possible, you attempt to place a 16 French urethral catheter, and if that is if that's successful then you go to the next step. But if it's not successful, if you can't do it, there's restriction, there's resistance, and you just can't do it, then you have to go and place an urgent referral to urology. So if you are successful in placing the catheter, you continuously drain the catheter for three to five days. As we said, if it's more than 400 cc's, you place it uh, for three to five days. And then you start your medications as we earlier discussed. Then after that, you go for avoiding trial, and if the post-volume residual urine volume is greater than 300 mils, or the patient is still symptomatic with lower urinary symptoms, then you say, if, it's, if yes, if you have that symptom, then you keep the catheter in place. But if no, the symptom is not there, the patient is okay, then you electively put a referral for urology follow-up in about two weeks. 
Okay, the medication that you mentioned, the, the tamsulosine, you know, is, is it acts fast or faster than finasteride. It's always good to remember that. That's correct. Mm -hmm. So the alpha poker. All right. So, uh, Dr. Hedrika, tell me why do you think this knowledge is important for you and your patients? So why I think this knowledge is important for, for me and my patients is that acutinary retention is a very painful and uncomfortable situation for the patient and is the most common urologic emergency in men. It's also important for patients as this may be the first sign of a prostate abnormality or enlargement like BPH, as some men may not have the classic signs and symptoms of lower urinary tract obstruction previously. It's also important for you as a provider or as a doctor because you should be able to look out for signs in history, for example, constipation, inability to voluntarily void or urinate, etc., and on physical examination for patients that may be presenting with acute urinary retention, especially when working in the urgent care setting or in the emergency room setting. It also provides a mutual sense of satisfaction for both the patient and the provider, especially when a prompt diagnosis is made and with initial or with immediate relief of symptoms after bladder decompression. The patient will thank you forever. Yes, and you feel happy with yourself too as a doctor. Yeah, and how do you get this knowledge, Dr. Hedrika? I got this knowledge from uh, my faculty uh, from resources like Up to Date, from review and journal articles, and from some of my personal experience. That's a good way to learn. You know, you put a face to the book. You may read it 1,000 times, but until you see the patient, you probably don't learn as good or as well. Uh, so tell me more about where this knowledge came from. Tell me some of the sources. So this knowledge came from one of our very knowledgeable, formidable faculty members we have here, Dr. Parker. Also from an article titled, United Retention in Adults, Evaluation and Initial Management, which you can find on the AAFP website. I also obtained it from an article called, The Management of Acute Uterine Retention, seen in the American Journal of Medicine, and from a review topic titled Acute United Retention on Up to Date. And you can find all these details on our website. As a reminder for all the residents, you know, inserting a Foley catheter is something that needs to be learned. Uh, we usually leave our nurses to do it, but we can also learn and we can learn the technique, we can review it, and we can practice uh, with the nurses. That's correct. I mean, we can practice uh, having the nurse as teachers. Correct. Not, not to place the catheters to them. Correct. So, and maybe we can do a workshop one day about, you know, how to place a Foley catheter. So remember the size, 14 to 18 French, and you can use a larger size if, if the patient has a PPH. So this is a very good topic, Dr. Hedrika. I appreciate you coming to us to talk to us about this today. And I hope you guys enjoyed it and, um, and that you can remember this topic. 
Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Reza. It's a, it's a pleasure. All right. Have a nice day, guys. See you next week. Bye. Speaking Medical. During our daily COVID updates, we were given ways to relieve stress of our medical workers. Today, we were told that self-massage was useful for stress relief. Back in the military, when they told me I could massage myself, they didn't use as polite a phrasing. In keeping with the theme of, of the day, we're, the word of the day is tumescence. Tumescence is the quality or state of being uh, tumescent or swollen. Tumescence usually refers to the normal engorgement with blood of erectile tissues. Nocturnal penile tumescence is a spontaneous erection of the penis during sleep or when waking. Along with nocturnal clitoral tumescence, it is also known as sleep-related erection. All men without physiologic erectile dysfunction experience nocturnal penile tumescence, usually three to five times during a period of sleep, typically during REM sleep. Nocturnal penile tumescence testing can be used in diagnostic workup for erectile dysfunction. Monitoring devices are now available that provide accurate, reproducible information quantifying the number, tumescence, and rigidity of erectile episodes a man experiences as he sleeps. NPT testing is generally performed when the clinician is trying to assess between psychogenic and organic erectile dysfunction. Typically, men with psychogenic ED will have normal NPT results, Physiologic ED will have impaired NPT results. Hello, this is Dr. Rava on your section, Spanish por favor. The Spanish word of the week is mal de orin, which is actually three words, mal de orin, meaning the disease of the urine, and obviously, People use this phrase when they have any urinary symptoms, most commonly dysuria, urinary frequency, and or foul-smelling urine. The scenario when your patient complains of mal de orin may sound, Doctor, tengo mal de orin y no dejo de ir al baño. What they're trying to tell you is, Doctor, I have dysuria and I may have a UTI. As temperatures continue to raise this summer, I recommend you assess your patient's hydration status too. Highly concentrated urine may have a stronger smell and may be confused with mal de orin. Now you know the Spanish word of the week, mal de orin. All you need to do is to assess your patients, mal de orin. Thank you. And now, for your sanity. My doctor told me to start killing people. Well, not in those exact words. He said I had to reduce the stress in my life. Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Doctor, I have a cucumber up my nose, a carrot in my left ear, and a banana in my right ear. What's the matter with me? Oh, my. You're not eating properly. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that our in-training exam scores in 2019 were low in male reproductive medicine? That's why our episode number 10 was filled with manly topics. Dr. Iharika talked about acute urinary retention, a condition that can be effectively diagnosed and treated, resulting in a relieved patient, a satisfied resident, and a proud attending. 
We stayed in the same anatomical area and remembered the word tumescence and learned the Spanish phrase mal de orin as a sign of possible UTI. At the end of our episode, our MA Alejandra was a little stressed. Don't blame her. We had a long day in clinic. And that's the end of Rio Bravo Q Week. We say goodbye from Bakersfield, California, a special place in the beautiful Central Valley of California, United States, a land where growing is happening everywhere. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency at clinicasierravista.org or by visiting our website at riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. This podcast was created with educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. Our podcast team this week is Hector Ariaza, John Ejerica, Goriza Sefi, Steven Saito, Roberto Velasquez, Monica Kumar, and Alejandra Felix. Audio by Siraj Amrutia. See you soon!